0: Hello and welcome back to The Idiot in the Elevator, a podcast about embarrassing moments, growing pains, and learning about life. Thanks for joining me for another episode. This podcast is a child-unfriendly podcast where we feature mature topics and potentially foul language. Though I appreciate your support, your kids probably shouldn't be listening to me. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're going to talk about the shit show that was fire festival and how millennials are so easily convinced by social media and how they're well frankly i guess millennials are easily manipulated by social media but this all comes down to fire festival now if you are a user or yeah user of netflix or hulu or better yet, both. You probably noticed last week that two documentaries came out, one on each platform. Hulu beat Netflix literally by two days. Netflix had been putting out promos for their Fire Festival documentary for not too like long, but you know, for a little bit. And literally two days before Netflix announced that uh, Netflix was planning on releasing their Fire Festival document documentary, but, well, Hulu beat them. They did it first because why not? Well, if they could, they can. Um, but I just thought it was hilarious. The initial thought between, from a lot of people was which one was better, right? Watch both. Genuinely, watch both. I think both documentaries are better with each other because the documentaries took different ways of approaching this. The Hulu documentary did a lot of um, background and like leading up to Fire Festival. And they mainly focused on Billy McFarland more than actual fire festival, per se. So, you got a little bit more insight from Hulu's documentary about how Billy McFarland got to the place where he could even potentially have this idea of doing fire festival. Why him even thinking about doing fire festival in the first place is so predictable, considering all of his other endeavors while netflix really did look at fire festival itself and look at what broke down and like how it didn't work but it was less about it was less of a profile on billy mcfarland whereas hulu's was a bit more of a profile but i think both are good and they both deserve i think maybe not deserve they think go to better they go better together than separately so first i want to talk a little bit about each documentary and a bit of a summary of what each one is. So if you haven't seen it, frankly, I'm not going to give that great of a summary. So listen to me and go watch it. Don't skip on either. Don't, don't click away from my podcast. Just kidding. I mean, I guess you can free will, whatever. But, um, I still recommend going and watch them despite my mini synopsis I will give that I can guarantee you is not comprehensive and is not that great. But I wanted to talk about the things that I think are important and I thought were pretty interesting. So as far as Hulu's documentary, and if you can tell, I think I enjoyed Hulu's a bit more than Netflix, but I still think both are valuable. But Hulu really does a good job of talking about how Billy McFarland got to be in the position where he is, and if I'm correct, I believe the Hulu documentary was made by an independent party, while Netflix's documentary was made by people who were already involved with Fire Festival, so it's not like... It's not Billy McFarland producing his own documentary about himself, but it is people who were involved in the shit show that is Fire Festival making this documentary about the festival. So, who is an independent group? I think that did it, and to me, it definitely shows in the demeanor of people involved. Like Billy McFarland was interviewed in the documentary, but he was a lot more reserved, in my opinion, and seemed almost apprehensive at time to answer questions, which is fair when you're under trial or um, under suspicion. But Hulu goes through a timeline, starting off when... Mainly starting with Billy McFarland's endeavor called Magnesis. Prior to Magnesis, Billy McFarland had tried other little attempts. He came out with this software in college that he thought would work, and it failed. It just, like, he tried to... Show it off at some symposium or whatever. Utterly failed. Couldn't get the app to run. So that was like his first main public one. But the second one that actually got a lot of attention is Magnesis. And Magnesis is built off this concept of like the black card that like you see your parents with. But instead, Magnesis is definitely targeted toward millennials. And it's a credit card that is literally it's just a piece of sheet metal that you use instead of your own credit card. And you get points And through the membership of this credit card, you get access to this, like, townhouse that was in New York. You get access to all these parties, to cocktail events, to book readings, whatever these things. It was meant to entice millennials to have a community in New York City through a membership for this credit card. However, as the documentary points out, frankly, it's less about a... Uh, social event in the sense of like sophisticated adult people trying to make friends in the city it really turned into an adult version of a gross frat party like it was this guys who you would imagine were in frats in high school I mean in college who joined this magnesis because they're basically looking for a way to get drunk with a lot of other rich millennials right and so this in theory this company came off really well the issue is billy mcfarland started lying to investors and lying to people saying like oh yeah like so and so many people are, are buying these cards so many so people are part of this in reality maybe he had five thousand members of this magnesis thing towards the end of it um he fucking trashed the townhouse and had it and got kicked out by the owners um and he was barely making any money off of this brand. It came off really well, and I think it was very demonst- demonstrative. Whatever, it demonstrated that he knew how to target millennials. He knew how to target people his own age, and he knew what they wanted. Because people in that millennial age group, I guess, or I f- actually agree with it. But from Billy McFarland's perspective. Millennials don't want to just buy a product Nowadays they want to buy into A lifestyle and that is what He was starting to do with Magnesis But it failed it didn't work he Abandoned it I'm not sure if he got Like sued or anything whatever but like you Know it was once again The first shit show just Didn't work whatever wasn't really Making money people weren't Really buying into it and the people who Were buying into it fucked up a townhouse So they all got kicked out So it's been a bit. And Billy McFarland still has a shit ton of connections. So then he goes for Fire Festival. And Fire Festival actually did not start as a festival. Fire as a concept started as an app. It was this app where you were supposed to, it was an app almost like Tinder, but for booking celebrities and artists and stuff like that. So this app was supposed to be a way for people to book musical artists or celebrities to come to parties to come to events or whatever because frankly unless you know unless you're already in that industry you don't know how to do those things you don't know how to access those kind of people so he was having he was creating a way for who knows who rich people to be able to do this easier and in order to promote the app or in order to like promote this fire concept of like accessible lifestyle goals he made Fire Festival. And Fire Festival was in theory supposed to have music. It was supposed to be about, like, look at this great time you're gonna have, whatever, whatever. Fire Festival failed because he's launching this video. He launches this promo video with a shit ton of models on this island in the Bahamas with these random ass pigs, and everyone looks like they're having a great ass time. But in reality, that video is it he doesn't have the infrastructure to host a festival he doesn't actually have all these acts confirmed and like prepared to go he just has this video that conveys this idea of a lifestyle that he thinks he can sell to millennials but he has no actual way to provide this lifestyle and to provide this experience for people and he wants to try to accomplish this all within six months even though most People throughout the documentary, both Netflix and Hulu, will tell you that you have to work at least a year before like, even potentially having anything up and running for a festival. So anyways, this is a classic thing that Billy does. He sells this idea to people without actually having a product to back it up, and he couldn't get a product to back it up, so it fails. Once again, another Billy thing, a Billy endeavor, fails because he's selling this concept He's selling a lifestyle without actually being able to follow through. You get this result in both films. He's in prison for like six years for fraud and all this shit, whatever. So that's Hulu's take on it vaguely. It tells you the timeline of Billy McFarlane talking about him, in Magnesis, all of his like random scams that he becomes involved with or even creates himself. And then Fire Festival. And it does give you a little bit more of like following up what happens after Fire Festival, what happens after he gets, um, whatever indicted. Is that the right word? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know the right law terms. But I would argue that in terms of post-fire or what actually happens in the Bahamas in in the moments of Fire Festival, you get more detail in the Netflix version. So the Netflix documentary about Fire Festival talks more about the planning of the festival and how so many people all these investors were involved and how the investors got duped and how people involved consistently either truly believed in billy mcfarland or didn't have the guts to tell him to his face or to actually get him to listen and say like hey man you're delusional and this shit isn't going to happen it's not going to work um so the the netflix documentary also talks about the promo at the beginning Um, But because this documentary, as I believe I'm correct, is made by people who were involved in Fire Festival, there's actually a lot more information about how this promo video was utter bullshit. Basically, Billy McFarlane invited all these people to this island and they just partied and I had these guys record almost everything. So these guys have footage of Billy McFarlane having random conversations, being passed out on a beach, all these models like doing whatever and like Billy McFarlane and Jaw Rule that's the other thing that I forgot from both of them they both talk a lot about how Ja Rule got involved in this and basically he's like a washed up rapper if you don't really know about him and he had some shit and so he was out of the limelight and this was his attempt as well to get more attention to get sort of his relevance back um, unfortunately Fire Festival sucked and Jaw Rule did not look so great in all of this but anyways so this documentary from Netflix is talking about all the things behind the scenes in making Fire Festival. Um, it does feature quite a few more people, local people from bah- the Bahamas. I think I think the correct term is Baham Bahamians. I'm I i do not know. They said it in the movie, but like it's one of those words. Unless you say it five times, you're not sure exactly how it says how it sounds when you say it. But anyway, so it's quite a few people from the Bahamas, like locals who are also in the documentary. Um, uh features uh, both films features a few attendees who um speak to how awful it was once it got on the ground but the Netflix one focused a lot more on um the making of this promo video how they got these social media influencers and to get that so- social media impact that they did um but at the same time, they also played off that co- sort of social media impact a lot more than Hulu did. Hulu brought it in as quite a like psychological concept, whereas Netflix did not. But Netflix also talked more about how the infrastructure of what Fire Festival, like what they attempted to do in so little time, completely unrealistic. Um, and they focused also a decent amount on how so many people never got paid for this. I think there was a lawsuit and i think billy mcfarland owes them still to this day at least five million but who knows if ever anyone's ever gonna get that money because i don't know if it ever existed there was one person that already on twitter has gotten a lot of attention she goodness i don't remember her name but anyway she was the owner of this restaurant on one of the islands nearby and Billy McFarland and like the fire crew had her working nearly 24-hour days her and her staff but obviously like everyone else she never got paid and her workers never got paid so she pulled $50,000 out of her own personal savings her own personal money to pay her um staff members like to pay her crew And that woman is pulling this $50,000 out of pocket like she was supposed to get paid too. her staff workers were supposed to get paid. Now she's down 50 and she's still missing the money she should have gotten. So I think there was a GoFundMe account already for her to give her that money back. It's already exceeded 50,000. I think it's at 100, 120,000 already. But like Billy McFarlane, more than like putting on an idiotic, non-existent production, his fraud was Monumental in so many ways. I think a lot of times people think about fraud, especially in my generation, it's like, I don't know, it's a very distant concept because most of us are too young to have money. Most of us are too young to have so much money that anyone would even risk taking it or, like, you know, like fraud isn't necessarily something I feel like I conceptualize very well. But I think the saddest part about the Netflix documentary is her because I think for the first time, at least for me, I'm conceptualizing what fraud might feel like. And it's knowing that despite all your planning, all your work, one mistake or one mistake that isn't even your mistake to make loses thousands and thousands of dollars. And that's what Billy McFarland did. He sold money from so many people who wanted to like live up this lifestyle, people who bought tickets to this extravagantly awesome sounding experience he stole all their money. He stole thousands of their monies because even GA passes were like a few thousand bucks, I swear. And like the, one of the most expensive things you could buy was like this villa for a certain amount of people. And that was even a quarter of a million. He stole and someone bought it. So like he's stealing, he's frauding all these people. It's evil because I genuinely think give us six years Billy McFarlane gets out of prison. He'll do it again. He will steal people's money because he cannot help himself. He has done it time and time again. The only issue is that he keeps getting caught. This kid keeps losing money. He keeps getting caught. But I don't think that'll stop him. I genuinely don't think he gives a shit. So that's my little synopsis of the two of them. My biggest things that I thought was most interesting is the psyche of Billy McFarland and the use of social media against millennials and potentially now, soon as well, on Gen Z, and how easily manipulated people can be because of this desire to be seen in such a particular way. So, first, I wanna talk about Billy McFarland as a concept. Billy McFarland, when he's doing all this stuff for Fire Festival, is what, like maybe 25, 26. Like, he's a young guy. I don't fully understand how he has so much money. I mean, I don't think he comes from a poor family or anything, but. I didn't get the impression that his parents were like stinking rich either way Billy McFarland is interpreted to be this amazing entrepreneur like people give him a lot of credit in both documentaries for how smart he is and how well in tuned he is with his market because his market is intentionally and very obviously millennials. Either way, Billy McFarlane has tapped into this concept, into this thing where people are now selling lifestyles, not just products. When you sell a Casper mattress nowadays, you're not selling just a frickin' mattress anymore. You're selling people or you're giving people the chance to buy into a culture of YouTubers, of social media people or whatever who all use the same product and all suggest to you through their social media that they have fantastic lives and so perhaps you seeing all these other people who already own this product, maybe perhaps by buying into that product, by purchasing that product, you too can replicate that lifestyle. But Billy McFarland took that idea to a whole new level. He was like, not only will I sell you a product, I will sell you an experience that will help you fulfill your goals in achieving this lifestyle. By creating Fire Festival and by creating the Fire app. By creating Fire Festival, you had a moment to like taste this experience. You had a weekend or however long it was to go to some island in the Bahamas and get drunk and trash and party with your friends and probably like do who the hell knows what. But that was the experience you wanted to have. But that was a precursor to all the kind of experiences that you could create with the Fire app. Because in many ways, the Fire app was a way to give anyone the ability to buy out people who would also help you to further this notion and this um, veil of a lifestyle that you want to parade around on the internet. And uh, frankly, I think when people say that Billy McFarland as an entrepreneur is incredibly smart... I think they're right. He might be dumb in the sense that he could not actually achieve the things he wanted to do. But he is incredibly smart in the sense that he knew exactly how to get people. He knew exactly how to take their money. And he knows exactly what they want. And while it's easy to call him stupid because he failed, it's also really easy to call him smart Because no one else was going to do this. No one else has done it in such a scale that he did with Fire Festival, regardless of whether it failed or not, because people still bought the goddamn stupid tickets. And that's what's crazy. Because if you look at it and like one of the people in the documentary, he was in both documentaries, pointed out that if you thought about this festival and you looked into it, even the slightest bit, you could tell that it was bullshit. But millennials don't want to look for bullshit. Millennials are hoping for a way to get to this lifestyle. They don't want to be told that it's not possible. Because why would you want to crush their dream? And Billy McFarland was selling the dream. But the way he was selling the dream is most important to me and the most fascinating. Because it's the rise of social media. Now, originally, this episode of season two, I wanted to record with my sister. Because I feel like both of us have had experiences with social media In that we wanted more attention on it or we wanted more followers, whatever. And I do think that we've both slowed down considerably with this like kind of conceptualization and like focus. Like neither one of us actually cares about getting those followers for the sake of followers anymore. But there was a point in high school where I felt like both of us were concerned about that. And so I I thought it'd be interesting to hear her take on it. But the reason I think social media as a concept is incredibly fascinating and important to note, especially within the context of Understanding Fire Festival, is that now we have social media influencers. We no longer just have celebrities that grace our TV screens and our huge names that everyone knows through TV, through movies, through music. Now we have people who are social media influencers. They are famous, frankly, for the sake of being famous. Maybe they don't actually do anything of real substance but you know here we are we're following them on instagram we're following them on twitter and i think there are multiple genres of people who are among the social media influencers i think i first got into social media influencers and like started learning about this concept through youtube because youtube is one of those things where it's like it's not clear it's it wasn't categorized in the same way that other talent was like acting singing modeling was a very like industry recognized whatever but youtube wasn't an re- industry for a while it was just like a hobby that people did but once youtube started getting monetized that's when you got the opportunity to become social media influencers without fitting in those normal categories of being an actor being a singer being of a model right those are those were celebrities but now they're social media influencers because they don't quite fit in those categories yet there's an overlap so a lot of youtubers have like millions of followers on instagram whatever and once that started happening once twitter and instagram started having the same communities or having that overlap with youtube that's when social media media influencers who are purely based on instagram or twitter started rising as well that's when you have people like ran someone who literally just came up on instagram or, like, got popular through Instagram. But either way, there's plenty of people out there who have millions of followers on Instagram, and they now qualify as social media influencers. I think in the documentaries, they cited having at least 120,000 people following you. Like, 100K is a good way to gauge whether you're a social media influencer. But personally, I would argue the moment you hit around, like, 20 to 50K, maybe I wouldn't call you a social media influencer just yet. But let's be real, you're on the way, you're probably going to become one. Like, once you already have that kind of traction, it's definitely easier to keep growing it. But the biggest one of all, we can get into how she got here anyways, is Kendall Jenner. Kendall Jenner, I don't know if she actually has the most followers on Instagram, but she's arguably the most influential person in her generation, now she is on the cusp of millennials and Gen Z. Frankly, doesn't even matter which one she belongs in, but maybe it's because she's on the cusp that she gets to have so much freaking influence but she's had has millions and i mean millions of followers on instagram let's look her up right now because i literally like it's insane how many people follow her but they got kendall jenner not in the video frankly um for fire festival but they got her to post about fire festival and that is insane I don't even know how much they paid her. I think they maybe paid her a quarter of a million. Probably should have paid her more considering how much she gets paid for random campaigns and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. She has 102 million followers on Instagram, people. That's insane. I literally barely have 500 people following me. and Like, do I even know all 500 people are following me? Hell no. But Kendall Jenner gets paid to post pictures using products, to and she is all in all these modeling campaigns and it's fascinating because she started off as one of kim kardashian's little sister and i remember i used to watch keeping up with the kardashians back in the day like back in like the original seasons of keeping up with the kardashian and I remember the episode. I swear she was like 14 and she went, Mom, I think I want a model. And that was the beginning of it. She started as this dorky little kid with braces, whatever, acting just like everyone else. And now she's 102 million followers on Instagram. She got paid to do some ginormous proactive campaign lately. And like she gets paid to be in Fendi things and to be in Calvin Klein ads and to be in all these things. And when Fire Festival booked, are paid her to make a post saying that she was supporting Fire Festival or insinuating that she was supporting Fire Festival. a person with that kind of influence can sell a festival in seconds. And her, along with Bella Hadid, Haley Baldwin, and all these other like random big names who have an overlap more importantly between both celebrity categories, as in models, as well as social media influencers. That is how Billy McFarland gave the impression and could have had the potential for Fired Festival to be incredibly successful. I mean, Fired Festival, this was supposed to be its first ever run, like first annual Fire Festival ever. And he had sold out general admission. Like that doesn't happen for the magnitude of people he sold it for and for like the newness of a festival. Like it's insane. But because he knew how to manipulate social media and get that attention fire festival could have been the it thing of our generation the issue is that billy Billy mcfarland had nothing to support his claims had nothing to support the people coming to this island had no infrastructure had no planning had no foresight that it had to fail best of all in the documentaries they talk about how they got people to actually pay attention to fire festival in general so not only did they use social media influencers But they didn't use, like, just a pretty picture with a blue sky or blue water, you know? Um, And this is where I think I decided I like Hulu more. Because Hulu went into almost the um, strategy of manipulating social media. Um, In the Hulu one, they talk about how to make people stop. How do you make people stop scrolling On Instagram when they're scrolling past things and barely looking at images for a second how do you get them to stop so they decided instead of posting just another pretty picture and asking all these models to post it they were just going to post an orange tile they were going to post a fire festival orange to their Instagram and it was just going to be tagged to fire festival it wasn't going to show anyone's face and they got over 250 social media influencers to do this Some of them were as big as, like, Bella Hadid. Some of them were smaller scale people. doesn't matter. All people who had significant followings to post this random orange tile linked to the Fire Festival page. It is genius. Because if I'm scrolling, I'm just looking at all these random colors and, like, all these images with random shit in them. And all of a sudden, you see this, like, very aggressive color and just that color. I personally would stop. I would wonder what the hell is happening. And I remember seeing fire Festival stuff on my social media feeds. And I remember thinking, wow, that's crazy. Or like, that looks really cool. I also remember thinking, who the fuck is stupid enough to spend this much money on this shit? The issue is, so many people are. I was just not one of them. Not to mention I don't have that kind of money. But the fact that people are willing to do this, and in the documentaries, both of them talk about how people quit jobs, they sold houses, they sold cars, they did uh, insane stuff so they could afford this experience that they wanted, a -a one-in-a-lifetime experience to be the first to go. People thought it was going to be the Woodstock of our generation, all because some stupid orange tile on Instagram. This is when I say that Billy McFarland is a genius. not saying he came up with this orange tile, but I'm saying... His work ethic and the group he pulled together is freaking genius. But Fire Festival is a shit show. So it's made me question a lot of things lately. I do not consider myself a millennial. I consider myself Gen Z, mainly because my perception of millennials is that they're all thirty years old, and I'm barely twenty. Um, secondly, because people shit on millennials, and I don't want to be one someone who, who people shit on all the time. So no, I do not claim the title being a millennial anymore. But I am easily succumbed to social media. But I find that for me, it comes in phases. Some weeks, I want to post a bajillion pictures and I want everyone to know how much fun I'm having. Other weeks, I want to delete it. I want to never pick up my phone again. And I am praying to God that everyone deletes their stupid Finsta. Funny enough, I have my own Finsta. And if you don't know what a Finsta is, well, you're probably older. And it means a fake Instagram, which means it is the Instagram account you make to post the pictures that are not aesthetically pleasing. And depending on the type of person you are, maybe you have a sad boy finsta, which means you're depressed or you're feeling down and you want to post sad stuff and you want to share your sad feelings with a few friends you allow to follow. Maybe you're a funny finsta person. You maybe you drink a lot so you want to post all your funny drunk pics there you, or it's embarrassing or whatever but you still enjoy taking those pictures and you still enjoy being stupid and having those funny moments and you still want to share them but once again not everyone should be able to see how weird or funny or whatever you are those are the main two ones I do feel like there are probably other ones that I'm just not experienced with maybe there's like weird sex ones, weird, I don't know Who knows i'm sure there are plenty out there most of people i know do sad boy ones or funny ones i personally enjoy doing a funny one if i'm sad i'll write in my journal i don't like people i don't like i wouldn't want people to see that about me social media in general is fascinating because i i still find myself fixated on who follows me who doesn't follow me how many followers i have in general and i think it also feeds into this illusion of closeness It makes you feel like you know people even though you really don't. You don't know what their life is. You don't really talk to them anymore. You just see these images of them where they convince you they're happy and you're convinced that you're happy. So you also give them the same kind of images where you're always beaming and whatever. It's an illusion of closeness that doesn't actually exist, but you you enjoy creating regardless. So when I see things like fire Festival... I want to chuck my phone out the window and never use it again because I don't want to be sucked into stupid schemes like that. But at the same time, sometimes nowadays, if, especially if you want to get into like a creative field, you have to have a following on social media to be considered. I know nowadays, not from experience, but I've heard through the grapevine that like, especially with modeling, you cannot book a campaign, you cannot book stuff as easily, not saying it's impossible... But if you don't have a following, it is significantly harder to get jobs without a social media part like influence and social media impact. And I think it's fascinating because people tell you like, oh, if you want a job, you just got to print out your resume and walk right up. But the way that social media and the Internet has influenced all these markets changes everything. And on top of it, you're striving to maintain this lifestyle so you can tell everyone how happy you are and how well you're doing. Maybe it's not real and maybe you don't even want that lifestyle, but you know that everyone else thinks you should want that. Everyone sort of expects that from you. So you do it anyways. You're feeding this lifestyle. I know I do it, but I've also taken the moment to be conscious of it and stop posting all the fucking time. I think everyone is going to fall to it. And I think Fire Festival is just the beginning of all this. I don't think this is the end. And I think, in fact, someone will put on another thing similar to Fire Festival. And unlike Billy McFarland, they will probably be successful. Because, frankly, with the right kind of planning, it could have been great. He just did not know how to do that. And he does not know how to not be a scammer. At least not with his track record. But I think... Give it another five years, there will be another Billy McFarland. And the only difference is that this guy will pull it off. Maybe he'll still steal all our money and he'll still scam us all. But we will buy into the lifestyle that he or she is selling and we will not even think twice because we think we got it and we'll only be satisfied with it until the next big thing comes. It's genius. So here's my recommendation. Watch both documentaries. They take two different ways of approaching this Fire Festival chaos dilemma. And I think they bring very important insight in understanding both. If you want if you're only interested in learning more about exactly Fire Festival, maybe watch the Netflix one. If you want to understand a bit more of how Fire Festival came to be, watch the Hulu one. But both are really interesting and bring a lot of insight and I think they bring a lot more insight about millennial generation and society than you expect it's not just about fire festival fire festival is indicative of a generation of people and about american culture and this culture of buying into a lifestyle and I don't think this is the first I don't think this is the last but I think fire festival was a social experiment that went wrong, but I think it's going to be replicated. Thank you for tuning into another episode. My name is Claudia Liu, and this has been That Idiot in the Elevator. See you next week. Bye.